0: There is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood. What happens? Lose all their guilty stains. Amen. Thank you, Amy. It's good to be with you this morning, here in uh, regular worship time. And if you would, turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 3. For those who want to be in junior church through grade 4, you can dismiss your, your students at this time. Out to the foyer, they'll follow their teachers down, pick them up after we're all done. It's good to be back together. In our study of the Word, I always look forward to this week, uh, this time of the week where we can be together to do so many things. Uh, among those is the study of the Word of God. And what does it say? What does it mean by what it says? How does that apply to me as we really uh, dig in to see what it is that the Lord would have to say to us? If you're a guest here, we welcome you. Make sure before you go, if you would, take the guest card out of the chair in front of you. Fill that out. Let us know that you were here. Give that to me before you leave. Give it to uh, Grant there at the welcome table let us know that you were here, how we can pray for you and minister to you. In the writings of Homer, there's a story of Hector the great warrior, and in the story he's saying farewell to his wife before he goes off to battle. It's going to be the last time he sees his wife and child, because in the battle, according to mythology, Hector meets Achilles and he's killed. Hector wanted to embrace his little child before leaving, so he reaches down, the little child looks up. She see, uh, he sees him with all his fierce armor and his weapons all over his body, his helmet on his head, and he turns and he runs to his mother. He's, he's crying, he's terrified, he buries his head in his mom's shoulder. So Hector takes off all of his armor and his weapons and his helmet, and then he reaches for the little guy who gladly jumps into his arms and his lap and embraces him, and he found the father of his love behind all of that armor. And For illustrative purposes, as we... Uh, it seems as if, as when we started 2 Corinthians three six and the Old Covenant, we see that the letter kills, we see the ministry of death, we see a ministry of condemnation. The Lord has his armor on. And then we see the New Covenant and the Spirit gives life and the ministry of the Spirit and the ministry of righteousness and liberty and all of those things. And what we see, I think... As we see the old has faded away, it's as if the Lord lets us see him with the armor off and he has been the judge and the executioner and the rightful fear and the terror of him is felt by everyone who has eyes to see and understands what it means that the letter kills and that the ministry of death and the ministry of condemnation. But now we see a God who extends a relationship to men who on their own could never achieve it. And so we again turn our attention to Paul's letter to the Corinthian church that we know as 2 Corinthians, and we look at chapter 3, and in this study we've had the opportunity to look at a number of very important doctrines, and they are really foundational to our understanding and our appreciation of our faith, in particular uh, the New Covenant ministry of righteousness, which we see in verse 9, and just this, this, these three words, Paul captures a staggering reality. He says it really um, just kind of off the cuff, but I'd like you to look there, 2 Corinthians 3, 9, Paul says, for if the ministry of condemnation has glory, much more, here's the three words, does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. As a believer, you have been the recipient of the ministry of righteousness. Did you know this? It's a marvelous thing to think about, really. We saw that the Old Covenant has glory in the ministry of condemnation. We've looked at that, and we'll just go a little review just briefly The fact that God has the right to have his armor on. God has the right to have authority and render judgment and hand down a sentence of death to those who attempt to gain his approval by going through rituals and ceremony and attempting to be right with him by works of the flesh. God has his armor on. He has the right to say no. He has a right with the the letter of the law to judge us according to his holiness and to condemn us, and there's glory in all of that because God is true and right and his commandments is holy and just and pure. And we also saw that the new covenant ministry of righteousness has greater glory. We saw that last time. Peresuo, an overabundance of glory than the old covenant. The word in ancient times that Peresuo was used to describe a flower that goes from bud to full bloom. The bud of a flower has glory, but the full bloom of a flower has greater glory. Now this ministry of righteousness Paul mentions really just kind of matter-of-factly, and he goes, he'll he go on and describe the significant difference in the glory of God that is put on display in this ministry of righteousness as compared to the Old Covenant, and we're going to see that in a few minutes, but in order to be sure that we understand this marvelous ministry, and we've taken some time to do this, and from time to time as we go verse by verse uh, through the Word of God, actually more than from time to time, all the time as we go through or work our way through the Word of God, we see a number of passages that help us understand why these particular words are so splendid. Paul assumes some knowledge here uh, when he says a ministry of righteousness. And we looked at the special passage that illustrates it so well from Romans 3. We're going to be back there in just a minute. and You can turn there, Romans 3.21. We saw last time from Philippians 3 that Paul has said that he repeats this teaching of the old and new covenants and the glory uh, of the first and the greater glory of the second and the fading uh, the fading of the first and the uh, coming to the forefront of the new. He says, he, he, he teaches this often. He says, it's no problem for me and it's a guard for you. And so we see the ministry of righteousness isn't mentioned in passing. We get to watch the bud of glory really turn into a flower of glory in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. So turn there if you would, and we'll be there just for a few minutes. And I'd like you to see um, some of this marvelous, some of the marvelous things that Paul is referring to here when he says, Uh, that the new covenant is the ministry of righteousness. I hope it's encouraging to you today as it was to me, and I I pray that you'll just allow the Lord uh, to minister to you and let you know how uh, you have come to the place where you are if you've come to faith in his son Jesus. Verse 21 says, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. And that but now are really marvelous two words, uh, over and against condemnation, over and against God with his armor on, over and against... Uh, Death and the ministry of death and the letter of the law which leads to death Now it takes us really into a new welcome present tense this really familiar language to us In that the glory of the old covenant has faded the new covenant now the glory outshines the old and it answers the question Can a man be made right with God and that's really the question that everyone asks, right? It doesn't matter if you are participating in a false religion or if you're in uh, uh, worshiping the true God can a man be made right with god and the answer is yes how can a man be made right with god well it isn't by the letter of the law right paul says here's how a righteousness from god is revealed from heaven so that god can take any man and make him right with himself romans 321 says this it says but now apart from the law the righteousness of god has been manifested by being witnessed by the law and the prophets and we saw first of all that in order for the ministry of righteousness to be effective it can't be based on the works of the law, because from the works of the law, no man will be justified, right? Trying to keep certain rules and certain ceremonies and certain uh, 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 legality and making sure your life is reined in, all those kinds of things, in order to be right with God, that's not going to work. And again, we saw over and over again that if you try to do it that way, you're under a curse. Any man who tries to keep the law and and fails in one, he's failed in all of them. And we've seen this over and over as our background. So it can't be based on the works of the law. And again, law here is the old covenant. It's referring to the letter. It's referring to uh, the moral law of God. It's referring to the ceremony. It's referring to the sacrificial system. Just all of those things are kind of lumped in uh, as part of that old covenant. Then we looked at uh, the next portion of of the verse where it says this. Apart, but now, apart from the law, here it is, the righteousness of God has been manifested. It's been made clear. Isaiah said that all the righteousness of man is as a filthy garment. That's the best that men can do. And so we saw, secondly, that in order for the ministry of righteousness to be effective, it must be a different kind of righteousness. It's got to be one on God's terms. It can't be men's righteousness. Men don't have righteousness in and of themselves. And then next we saw it must be a comprehensive righteousness. And we've seen that Jesus came as this, as the utter fulfillment of God's righteousness. He was right with God, totally, absolutely perfect. Always did the Father's will, always spoke the Father's words, never sinned a sin, never thought an evil thought. So it is a comprehensive righteousness because it's a righteousness that perfectly fulfilled the law. So Jesus came And God didn't just say, okay, man can't do it. It Just toss the whole thing out. We'll just take man in and say, okay, everything's all right. That's not what happened. Jesus' death on the cross fully satisfied the sentence of condemnation handed down to every human being born of Adam. It's it's comprehensively satisfied the law's requirements. It was the fulfillment of all of that. And because Jesus did it that way and came out on the other side never to die again, Hebrews 7.25 says, it tells us this, therefore... we see in Hebrews, fourthly, uh, we saw not only is it a comprehensive kind of righteousness, it's a righteousness that must last forever. And because of the nature of Jesus' work on the cross, that's exactly what we have. And then we see in Romans 3.21, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, and we see that that's a comprehensive righteousness, a different kind of righteousness, a righteousness that lasts forever. We've also noted From the start here, the ministry of righteousness, it comes from God, is unchanged. It's unchanged. That's what it means, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Salvation has always come the same way. The Old Testament law didn't make people righteous, it just showed them how sinful they were, so they'd throw themselves on the mercy of God. And we noted last week that that was the reason for the mercy seat on top of the ark. Between the law of God, which no one could keep, and a holy God who would punish sin, there was mercy. By way of the shedding of blood, looking forward to the perfect sacrifice, and there is a great sense of that found in isaiah sixty one ten I will rejoice, the prophet says, in the Lord, my soul will exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation, he has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Isn't that great? God did that. Now that's old covenant, right? So that's under the law, but no one could ever keep the law. And what would happen in the Old Testament was people would come, they would go through the sacrificial system, they would do their best to obey the law of God and realize that they couldn't, and what would they have to do? They would come to God and do what they were required to do, and throw themselves on the mercy of God and say, I can't keep this law. There's no way I can do what you're asking me to do. I'm looking to you for salvation because there 's no way this is going to cover my iniquity you 've piled up high to the heavens, david said, and who, who can buy a soul who can make, uh, who can make redemption for a soul for the, the purchase of a soul is costly? no one can afford it see so it 's coming to God and saying i 've violated your moral law, I violate this law regularly i don 't keep the sacrifices like i should i don 't keep uh, the ceremonies like I should, all these things are things I fall short of, and i 've got to trust on your mercy so this ministry of righteousness comes from God unchanged, it's witnessed by the law and the prophets, and we noted that you know, there's, nobody could keep this law, and so there's a mercy seat that kind of reflected that in the tabernacle and later in the temple. And there's this, that wonderful sense in Isaiah that, that tells us that, that God is the one who does it. He wraps a robe of righteousness around someone. He, clothes you with, uh, he has clothed you with garments of salvation. The ministry of righteousness that Paul draws our attention to in 2 Corinthians 3.9 gives us the answer to man's basic question, how can I be right with God? The Philippian jailer, he, he asked that question right. He said to the apostle Paul, what must I what? Do to be saved. And John the Baptist preached the message of repentance. The people cried, what shall we do then? And so he told them. In John 6, 27, Jesus had fed the 5,000 the day before. The people searched all over for him. They would not made an eternal connection with the work Jesus had done. And Jesus rebuked them and he said, Do not work for, food, for the food that perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? It's impossible... What is it that we can do that would be considered working the works of God and Jesus answered and said to them So don't chase after food which perishes don't work after things not that you don't need to do that You need to supply for the needs of your family and we certainly see that but he's just saying listen Don't make it your primary goal to work for food that perishes uh, and, it, and instead uh, seek after food that doesn't perish Well, what shall we do that we can work this work of God and Jesus answers and says to them? This is the work of God that you what believe in him who he sent the work of God has been done. Who, in whom? In Christ on the cross. And coming out on the other side alive showed that the payment was sufficient. And, and all those people are echoing this same question. How can I be right with God? You see it in the cry of David in Psalm 143 three two. He says, And do not enter into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no man living is righteous. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me or I will become like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear your loving kindness in the morning, for I trust in you. Teach me the way in which I should walk, for to you I lift up my soul. Lord, there's nothing I can do that's going to be satisfactory because I am unsatisfactory. I can't do anything that's good, good enough to merit your uh, salvation, so teach me the way I can walk. No one's righteous on their own. They don't know which way to go, and for all their efforts they're going to die. And so David even cries out and says, listen Lord, show me what I need to do. Don't into judgment with me. In other words, I'm throwing myself on your mercy. Please don't bring me into judgment. Please show me how to be right with you. You're my only hope. And when a man becomes aware of his sinfulness, he also becomes aware of his plight and he anticipates judgment. And then there's one of two responses. One is throw yourself on the mercy of God as we saw last week and say, Lord, I can't do this and I need your salvation. Or the other one is just keep the ceremonies. Right, I'm going to do all these things, and that's somehow going to make me right with the Lord. And we find when people won't accept the right, uh, the right understanding of their true situation, what's their first response? I'll just do all these things. I'll, I'll, I'll legally obey all this stuff, and that somehow God will be pleased with what I'm doing. Now, the Scriptures define for us some key points on how that relationship works with God, and we looked at this already when you throw yourself on His mercy. This ministry of righteousness encompassed by the new covenant isn't based on the works of the law, It's got to be a different kind of righteousness that's one on God's terms, which means it's comprehensive, and it's a righteousness that lasts forever, and it's a righteousness that comes from God unchanged. look at verse 22. We're going to see our next key point on how to be right. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 22. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So sixthly, then it comes by faith. Just like Abraham, just like David, just like everyone else, this is a righteousness that is on God's terms. See, it comes by faith. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 tells us, Therefore, having been, made, having been justified, that's made right, having made right with God by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exalt in the hope and the glory of God. And that word faith is the word pistis. It is um, strong and welcome conviction or belief. We've talked about this before, and it is and in this application, it is that Jesus is the Messiah uh, through whom we obtain eternal salvation in the kingdom of God. Therefore, having been made right or justified by faith, a strong, welcome conviction or belief that Jesus is the Messiah and through whom we him we obtain salvation. That's that understanding of faith. Okay? We're just kind of kind of build on the things we've understood so far. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And as it relates to the, to, to the word believe, it usually occurs in the present tense, is believing, in peace with God, and we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace which we stand and we exalt in the hope and glory of God. We, we have been justified by faith and we believe in this. Speaking of Abraham in Romans chapter 4, verse 20, we see this. Yet, with respect to the promise of God, talking about Abraham, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith. God had promised him some things. He didn't waver in unbelief, but believed what God had said, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what, here it is, what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Did Abraham earn righteousness? No. Abraham came before even the written law, didn't he? And yet, he believed God's promises, and because of his belief, he had faith that God, what God said he was going to do, he would do. So how did Abraham get right with God? he believed that god what god had said and he would do it and that's it see that's what jesus just got through saying see how do i work the works of god jesus answers them and says the work of god is that you believe in him who he sent that he did what he said he did he came for the reason he said he came he was who he said he was see what does a man have to do he has to believe he has to have faith faith in what uh, for abraham it's faith in god what about you know you know what about god well all that God said about himself. And of course, he said more now than he said to Abraham, right? God had not revealed as much as we have today, but nevertheless, we still have to believe all that God has said about himself to be true. So this ministry of righteousness is accomplished when you believe in faith and you're made right, see? It doesn't come by works, it doesn't come... It comes by faith, for, uh, for those two are distinct. Works is something you do, an effort that you give. Faith is trusting in something God does, and you believe it, and you accept it, and you trust it. See? It's done by him. You accept that he did it, and you don't have to add anything to it. For example, on the cross, Jesus said, it is what? Finished. He had accomplished the work of salvation. It was done. You and I have to believe it. That means that you confess confidently he is who he said he is. He did what he said he did, and all that that implies, see. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, we hear the same confident statement. The just shall live by faith, see. This ministry of righteousness from God by grace through faith does some remarkable things in the life of the believer. And we won't go through all of them now, just but just as a footnote, there's this wonderful illustration of a parallel language of believing by faith found in Romans 6:17. Romans 6:17, we see this. It says, "But thanks be to God, that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed." There's some parallel language to receiving by faith the gift that Christ has given us through His death and resurrection on the cross. And really this describes a different language from uh, of the marvelous transition of from not being right with God to being made right with God. You were slaves of sin. The implication is you used to serve sin, but now you are a believer. How did this happen? You responded with your understanding, okay? Teaching to which you were committed. You understood the facts and they were true facts. And that was complete, and that was your intellect. You responded to your intellect. When you heard the message of the gospel, and this is why from time to time we do this, what we're doing today, that you understand the basis of faith and what your salvation is based on, so it's, no, it's, it's very clear to you, then your intellect then understands what's going on. And you responded on the inside with sincerity. That's your emotion, see? But thanks be to God that you were slaves to sin, So that was your actual position, and you agree with God that you were slaves to sin. You weren't kind of good. You weren't doing your own thing. You weren't right with God in a general sense. You've always been right with God or any other of that nonsense that you hear when you witness to people. See, you were a slave to sin. You weren't a slave to righteousness. You were held in chains to do whatever the God of this world wanted you to do and whatever whatever appealed to your flesh, and there was no objection from the inside man because you were dead. Okay, And so you just did whatever you did, and that you were slaves to that. You became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. So you responded, you understood what the facts were, that was your intellect, you responded from the inside with sincerity, that's your emotion, so from the heart. Your senses were stirred by the Holy Spirit of God, making you aware of your fallenness, of your deadness. And you responded with obedience, so it changed what you do. See, you became obedient That's your will. That's why we have Hebrews 11 and 12, you know, we have all of those heroes of the faith, see? And you can read through there, by faith this one did this, and by faith this one did that, and, and by faith and by faith and by faith, all the way through, see chapter 11. And, and then chapter 12 it says, seeing that we have so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, what? Um, also live by faith. Also run the race as one who seeks to get the prize. Let us also uh, realizing all these people who've come before who are the example of what it means to live by faith, believing what God said and doing that and acting on it. And so we've looked at this before that, you know, there's, there's a false faith that the Bible speaks about where someone wants salvation, but is it willing to respond in obedience? See, and then you have a serious problem. It's really hard to discern that at first somebody who really wants salvation because that really looks good and they don't want to end up in hell when they die. And so they make kind of a response. Uh, Yes, intellectually, I understand what Jesus did, but there's no responding in obedience, so you have this false faith the Bible speaks about when someone wants salvation but isn't willing to respond in obedience, and, and we'll save that for another time because it takes us too far away from our topic. But this idea in Hebrews 12, which was followed up with the declaration that the Old Covenant was made obsolete, followed by chapter 11 and chapter 12, indicating if there are this many people who can attest to living a life of faith, and these are all under the Old Covenant, then that's the kind of life we're supposed to live too. See? That's what that's supposed to look like. That's the whole point of the passage. In verse 2 of Hebrews 12, we read, looking unto whom? Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Even your faith isn't yours. Guess who authored it? Jesus. Guess who finished it? Jesus. That's who will finish it. See? And again, much there that we won't dive into today, but you can understand how this is all coming about. Romans 3.22, even the righteousness of God Through faith in Christ Jesus. No ambiguous faith here, no vague source. It's not just having faith in faith. I just have faith. In what? Well, just in faith. Seventhly, the ministry of righteousness has as its focus faith in Jesus. That's what everything in the Old Testament pointed to. The righteousness of God made clear, true saving faith directed at Jesus Christ. He is. He is the embodiment of righteousness. So it isn't based on the works of the law. It's got to be a different kind of righteousness, one on God's terms. It must be a comprehensive then, righteousness. If it's one on God's terms, it's got to be one that lasts forever. It's got to be one that's unchanged, and it comes by through faith, see? Faith in Jesus, that's the focus, see? He is the embodiment of righteousness. When Jesus went to the cross, we saw how righteous God really is, didn't we? And we saw how loving God is. This is a righteousness not based on the works of man. This is a righteousness uh, on God's terms. It's a comprehensive righteousness, an eternal ministry of righteousness, a ministry of righteousness that's unchanged, a ministry of righteousness that is by faith, and this new covenant ministry of righteousness is based on faith in Jesus. See, Not an ambiguous faith. It's on Jesus. I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by... There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby men shall be saved. What What name? Jesus only Let's see. Read Romans 3:22, look there with me. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. What a marvelous thing to put on there. This ministry of righteousness is offered to all. For all who believe. The provision is made to anyone who believes, and the key thought here is anyone can be saved who believes. That's the joyous news of all of that. Acts chapter 13 verse 39, and, and through him everyone who believes is freed, that's justified, that's made righteous, from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. There was no way you could loose yourself from the chains of your own sin by obeying any type of law and trying to be right with God and merit his favor. It wasn't possible by keeping the ceremonies, it wasn't possible by the rituals, and we went through all that already. You mean, then you can say, well, it doesn't matter how bad they are? No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how irreligious they are? No, it doesn't matter. Those things are not the issue. The issue is, do they believe, no matter what the past is, see? Galatians 2.16, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified or not made right with God by the works of the law but through faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ so that we may be justified, that's made right with God, by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified or made right with God. It's offered to everyone and it's not offered on the merit of how good you are. So that means everyone has the offer no matter how irreligious you were, no matter how wicked you were, no matter what you did in your past, Jesus has already paid that price and it is offered to you that way and the ministry of righteousness is available to you if you have faith and believe. See, It's offered to everyone. The rebellious, the blasphemous, the God-haters, the criminals, the pedophiles, the adulterers, the hypocrites, the false teachers, the good people, the moral people, the people who think they're okay. The ministry of righteousness is offered to all who believe because everybody's at the same starting point. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. John 6.40, Jesus says, for this is the will of my Father that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. The offer goes out to all, see. And in case it wasn't clear, Paul says it another way at the end of Romans 3.22. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all Those who believe, for there is no distinction. And some may say, well, wait a minute. You know, I'm a good person. I'm a moral person. You're no different than a criminal. Okay, let's be clear. If all of sin falls short of the glory of God, it doesn't matter if you were a moral person. It doesn't matter if you were okay. It doesn't matter if you thought you were doing fine. It doesn't matter if you gave a lot of money to help people. That doesn't matter, see? You're no different than a criminal. Some may say, you know, I'm a good person. I help poor people. I give my money away. I help the disadvantaged. I'm a good provider. You know, I take care of my family. I keep my word. I come to church from time to time with my wife. You're no different than an adulterer. But I'm very religious, you know, I know there's a God, I go to church, you know, I do everything I'm supposed to do to get to heaven. And and that's very hard for people to understand, see, but that's what it says, for there is no distinction. Wherever, whatever your past was, there's no distinction between those things, see, because it wasn't something you did that got you there, it was Jesus' righteousness imputed to you for those who believe, see. People think that the standard for good is relative. But the standard for good is not relative. The standard for good is absolute, see. It appears, of course, that some are worse than others, but all are so bad that they're infinitely far from God. And we were included, too, before we came to Jesus, right? That's the point of the message, that this is where you were, see. And righteousness was imputed to you, not on the basis of your goodness, so not because you'd be good sometime later in your future, but because, Holy Spirit stirred your heart, and you came to life and believed, see, that Jesus had done what he said he did. So the ministry of righteousness can apply to anybody, sure. Verse 22 says there's no difference. We're all bankrupt. We're all wretched. We're all vile, see. There may be a relative difference in the way we appear on the surface, but the fact is that we're all in the same category. So if he can save any of us, guess what? He can save all of us. The Apostle Paul qualifies the previous verse and the fact that it is offered to all, and there's no distinction by verse 23. Very well-known verse. Look there. We just said it just a second ago. So he, he leads all the way up here, and then he says, listen, just so that you understand this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's great on the heels of even a righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. It's a righteousness that comes from God. This ministry of righteousness comes from God by faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And there's no distinction. Just in case you weren't clear about that, everybody sinned and everybody's fallen short of God's glory. So it doesn't matter what your past is, see? Any human being on the face of the earth that comes short of the glory of God is the same as anybody else and in the same boat, see? See? And the wonderful meaning of the verse is clear in its context of the ministry of righteousness. God's not trying to prove how far we are from him. He's already done that. He's trying to show how savable we are because we're all in the same situation and Christ has provided the righteousness and a ministry of righteousness available to you through belief and faith. See, And there's no way to change the situation on our own. That's why Paul says, I repeat this often. It's no problem for me, but it's to protect you. Because the longer you know, we're in church without having to come to faith, the more we try to conform to what it looks like to be a Christian so that somehow God will look at us with favor. See, we, Or maybe we've been married to a spouse who's a believer, so we're, we're changing our life, we're trying to be better, see? But still you're in that same boat, you're lost. And you're, you're under God's condemnation. And it, no amount of good behavior on your part is gonna change all of that, you can't change your situation. And there's no way to think of one being better than another, see? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we've seen this several times, see. We've seen this several times. What it means to glorify God is to recount his attributes. On the mountain, men fell short of his glory, right? And they were breaking... Uh, God's commands. They were breaking what he's told them to do. As Moses was bringing the tablets down from the mountain for the very first time, they were already in violation of it, and they already knew they were in violation of it. I mean, they fell short of God's glory even before he revealed exactly what he expected, even though he told them what he expected before that. See? Romans seven twelve, you know, the law is holy, the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. It revealed God's moral law, which was part of his perfection. God's glory is his perfection, his power, his justice, his holiness, his faithfulness, and he has infinite qualities and attributes of all of those things. And men fall short of those qualities and those attributes, but because everyone's in the same situation, if God can redeem one, he can redeem anyone. See, what a marvelous thing that is. Verse 24, being justified as a gift by his grace, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, and that word gift is this marvelous Greek word, dorea, just stresses a free nature. It means without cause. This ministry of righteousness is given freely. See, and It's important, I think, to note it. it. just, I think it's just obvious as we read the verse. Being justified as a gift. For no reason, in other words. It's a marvelous, that, that word, dorea, that's a great study by itself, but just to give you an idea of, of uh, how it's used. In Galatians two twenty one, uses it this way. I do not nullify the grace of God, First, righteousness came through the law. Then Christ died, here's our word, needlessly. He, he died for no reason, see. If we could somehow achieve, if we could achieve salvation through the law, then Christ died needlessly, dorea. It's a gift. There isn't a reason why he gave the gift on your part. So you didn't merit the gift. And the emphasis for the word is that this gift of the ministry of righteousness, which you have received if you come to faith in Christ, wasn't made in response to some attractiveness on our part, or catch this, some obligation on God's part. There's no obligation on God's part, no attractiveness on our part, for us to receive the gift. That's the nature of a gift, right? And that key point, as wonderful as it is, helps us understand how we can be right with God. So this ninth point, if you're keeping track, the ministry of righteousness is given freely. And it really seems that verse 24 connects us back to verse 22. Look there, if you would, verse 22, your copy of God's word. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. See where we are? For all those who believe, for there is no distinction. And then verse 23 is an explanation of how it is that everyone can be saved because we're all in uh, all the, in the same boat. Verse 23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then back to the main point from verse 22, being justified as a gift by his grace. See? Those who believe receive the ministry of righteousness freely by his grace. To declare to be righteous, that's right with God. To pronounce as righteous as a gift without payment from men, without human merit. See? Isaiah 55, 1. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without cost. Old covenant, what's the invitation? Come. There's nothing you can bring that's going to merit the gift of salvation that I will give you. John 4.10, Jesus answers and says to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Uh, Revelation 22.17. I, I, would, I would give you living water he said. That's a gift. Revelation 22, 17, the Spirit and the Bride say, one of my favorite verses, the Spirit and the Bride say, come, let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let one who wishes take the water of life without cost. It's a gift. It's a gift. Those who embrace Jesus through faith are justified without any cost to pay on our part. Consistent with God's own righteous character and with a view to its manifestation, Jesus in his own body accomplishes righteousness and all who have faith in him receive righteousness as a gift. He gives a gift, see? And we receive legal and formal acquittal from the guilt by God as judge. He's taken off the armor, see? And the God of love reaches down because he poured out his wrath on his son and then offers us righteousness as a gift. For us, it is undeserved love granted to the guilty. And that word grace, is a really great term. Paul uses it a hundred times in this letter, Romans. If it's free and God gives it to us freely and all we do is believe and God graciously gives us his salvation, then it's free. It didn't cost anything. No. It didn't cost us anything. It was extremely costly to him. See, God didn't just toss the whole thing out and say, okay, let's just bring everybody in. The only way it could come to us freely is verse 24, look there, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. What's that mean? It means that somebody had to pay the price, see? And it's just obvious, isn't it, as we walk our way through, but I want to draw your attention to it because Paul just mentioned it as in passing in, in 2 Corinthians 3 9. This ministry of righteousness, this ministry of righteousness is paid for by Jesus. That word redemption is a compound word, it's a word apolutrosis, the word apo meaning from, and lutron meaning a price of release if you ever had a coupon and it says redeemable at such and such a place uh, you can, you know, means you can use this to buy something see and that redemption is to ransom for the payment of a price See. you don't pay it and I don't pay it but someone paid it and verse 24 says Jesus paid it, see Later in Romans, it's the idea of buying a slave out of the slave market. It's the idea of the kinsman redeemer in the story of Ruth. It's, uh, you know, somebody paid a price. Who is it? Jesus paid it. Man is a slave to sin. Man cannot be right with God on his own. God provides a ministry of righteousness by faith. And you can see it's a ministry, right? It's how overwhelming that is. He calls it a ministry of righteousness. It is the actual taking care of this ministry on behalf of those who need it. See, ministry of Righteousness given by the Lord, ministered to by the Lord. And the only way God can do that is to, is to pay the price to free that man, see. 1 Timothy 2, 5 says, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. 1 Peter 1, 18, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers... But with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. What did God say the price had to be? Well, the wages of sin is what? Death price was death, and Jesus died that death, and, and the ministry of righteousness was accomplished, and we'll see that the old has faded away because it was taken out on Christ, and, and it's as if the Lord lets us see him with the armor off, and he's been the judge, and he's been the executioner, and, and the rightful fear and terror have been felt by everyone who has eyes to see this letter of the law killed, but now we see a God who extends his relationship to men who on their own could never establish it, and, and that was my introduction for today, okay? Now look back at Second Corinthians 3.9. You're looking at me like That could be true. He does that. My boys tease me and say, Dad, you can't even say hello in less than 10 minutes. 2 Corinthians 3.9. Look there. So, what a marvelous ministry of righteousness. Wow. For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, does this... Now, now listen to the words now after we just got through saying what we, we... Look at what we just said. Much more... Paris overabundantly does the ministry of righteousness abound, abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory in this case, that's the case of the ministry of condemnation, has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. For if that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory. So when you look at the old covenant in comparison to the new covenant, it's as if, Paul says, the old covenant had no glory in comparison, see in comparison to this ministry of righteousness. That's his statement. And that's not hard to grasp, is it? When we think about what we just studied. For that which fades away was with glory, much more that which remains is in glory, verse 11. And that's our fifth trademark of the new covenant. It's a glory that remains. As we've worked our way through this passage, we've looked at the trademarks of the old covenant and of the new, this is the new. This is a glory that remains. And that's just obvious, right? I mean, the ministry of righteousness is from God paid for by the work of Christ on the cross and so we saw it was a forever eternal righteousness and Paul assumes that knowledge here in our passage he says a ministry of righteousness but we we go back and lay that foundation so we have that knowledge this forever righteousness the new covenant remains because it is the consummation of God's plan and it is the most glorious beloved it is the final word the gospel is the final word There's no other word. This is it. It it isn't the Old Covenant and the New Covenant plus tradition. You know, the New Covenant ministry will continue and never be replaced because there's no more to do. See how marvelous that ministry of righteousness is? There's nothing else to do. This is the final word. If you're waiting for something else to bring you to faith, guess what? Nothing else is forthcoming. It's the final word. You can be made with right with God, but not because you keep the law or think you're good or you give your money away or you're a good father or you're a good husband or you're, good, you're in the community, you're a good guy, whatever. Listen, that's not going to accomplish anything. This is the final word here. And all your accumulated goodness only puts you in a place where we saw last time of loss. Not only is it not a wash where your, your expenses and your income just wash out. Everything that you thought was good enough that you thought put you in a place where God owed you something is actually a debit against you. It makes you more guilty because you thought somehow you could achieve righteousness on your own after Jesus was sent to the cross. And as we just saw a minute ago, um, Jesus died for nothing then. The New Covenant ministry will continue and never be replaced because there's no more to do, and we're going to celebrate the glory of the New Covenant throughout all eternity. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17, this, uh, this is a marvelous passage that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, pa- Paul is Paul's praying for the church. I, I love these prayers. I don't know if you've noticed these. As you go to some of the epistles, you'll see Paul said, and I pray this for you, or whatever. I mean, that's, that's what I pray for you. I, I don't know if you know that. I, I've told you that before. Um, I'll print that off and put it on my computer screen, and then throughout the week, I'll pray this, these for you. Not because I'm holy or anything, just because if, if this is what Paul prayed for the church, and this is still relevant today. See. And I, I know some of you, and I know what you're going through, and I'll pray for you by name, and, and I'll lift you up before the Father. Sometimes in the middle of the night, the Lord wakes me up, and I'll if I know something's going on, I'll just pray for you. But these are prayers that, these always apply. But listen to what he has to say after we looked at the ministry of righteousness and, um, and it's a glory that remains. Here's what Paul says in, to the church of Ephesus in uh, chapter 1, verse 17. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom. Now, what's, what's the spirit of wisdom? That's somebody who can assimilate the facts, okay? Wisdom is assimilation of facts. And of revelation. Apocalypsis, that's able to understand things, that's the laying bare that were previously unknown. That's actually the name of Revelation, okay? Uh, the book is Apocalypsis, it's the laying bare of things that were mystery. Now they're made clear. Paul says, I'm going to pray to you that the God of, uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom that you can assimilate these facts and Revelation, that all, all the mystery will be taken away, that you, you can understand everything laid bare, that was previously unknown, in the knowledge of him. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so you'll come to some realizations you haven't come to before, maybe you knew some facts, but now you'll be enlightened about the facts and what they mean, so that you'll know what is the hope, this is the full hope of salvation realized. Have we realized it yet? Have you realized the full hope of your salvation yet? No. Our best life is not here, okay? We haven't realized the full hope of our salvation yet. We, we are looking forward. that's still a hope, right? The full realization of the glorified body forever and eternity with the Lord, that's still our hope. Paul says, I pray that you'll know what is the hope, the full hope of salvation, of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance. Do you get your inheritance right now? No. Right? Inheritance comes afterward, doesn't it? After the passing of a relative, you may get an inheritance, you know, whatever it is, some, some bequeathing to you. Paul says, Paul says listen, I want you to know, with the eyes of your heart to be enlightened, about what, Paul? So that you'll know what, what is the hope of his calling. I want you to be enlightened about what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance, that's the future, in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. Can you truly understand just yet, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it? I mean, on a day-to-day basis, it's hard, it's hard to assimilate that sometimes, right? I mean, sometimes I've told you, at the end of the day, the only person who knows you're a believer is you and the Lord, right? You get to the end of your day, you just may I just stunk up the whole thing. You know, my fault everywhere, right? You, you don't understand that yet? Yeah, Paul says, I, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened, that you'll know what is the passing greatness of his power towards us who believe. Now, mark this next statement, beloved. This, this, is, this, is, this is marvelous, okay? He says... Um, These are in accordance with the working of his strength, of his might. Verse 20, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that's named, not only in this age, catch it, but also in the age to come. It's the final word. Ministry of righteousness is the final word. There's not another word. It's one we're going to celebrate all the way through this age and into the age to come. We're going to celebrate the glory of the new covenant throughout all eternity, and there's no more to say. It's all been done in Christ. He's accomplished once forever the redemption of his people. There's no higher truth. That's it, see. Or we'll get to understand the richness of the gospel as we grow. And I think part of the marvel of being in eternity is to discover more and more about the richness of our relationship to the Lord and all that he has in his inheritance for the saints there and, and that his surpassing greatness and power towards us who believe. I think we'll be realizing that all through eternity. If you have an infinite God, you're going to be assimilating that knowledge all along, aren't you? See? There'll be some new understanding, but we'll never get beyond the gospel. We'll never get beyond the new covenant. There's nothing beyond that. We're not sitting around waiting for testament number three to drop. Okay? This one goes right into eternity. And so Paul's carried along to give us this next statement, which is where we'll stop today and pick up next week. And it's 2 Corinthians 3.12. Look there, if you would. Therefore, and what's therefore? We, we never see therefore. You want to know what it's there for, okay? Everything that we just got through saying, The ministry of righteousness and all those things that we just talked about, see? Therefore, because this is the final word, because this is the final covenant, because this is the way it's going to work for all eternity, because Christ has accomplished all of this work on his own and came out on the other side alive, and he offers you a ministry of being right with God, not because you're good, but because he's good and you believe. Therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. I'm fully confident. Paul says that everything I've just delivered to you, from my own heart to yours, is the last word, and so I can use full confidence to say all of that. And is that surprising to us? Even, even in the in the time we spent in the new covenant and the ministry of righteousness, it's you know. It's as if we can utter with Job, you know, behold, these things are fringes of his ways, how faint a word we hear of him. You know, we just, we talked about the ministry of righteousness, and it's almost like we just barely grasp some of the threads of the, of the actual cloth. It's so marvelous, right? And the glory and power we looked at are just the fringes of his ways, and, and may we know the hope Paul prayed that the church would have, and may we give each of us boldness in speech. Let's bow and be dismissed in prayer. Lord, we thank you today for a time spent in your word. We thank you for how your Bible explains itself. That if we don't understand what that ministry of righteousness is, or we just read it in the offhand way perhaps that Paul had said it, assuming knowledge there in the Corinthian church of this marvelous work that is the work of the ministry of righteousness, being made right with God, imputed to us, not on our own merit, but as a free gift. Lord, we we thank you that we can see that. We thank you that we can, with Paul, say, therefore, having such a hope, we use great boldness in our speech. And so I speak to those who are are believers now, those who know Christ as their Savior, who understand that they've been, maybe perhaps at a greater depth, what the ministry of righteousness means to them, how they got in, that they'll also have great boldness of speech. As we've been emphasizing constantly our great commission, I pray that uh, you will motivate them to share this great, and marvelous news, this final word, uh, this this thing that we can rest assuredly on, the righteousness of Jesus to those who believe all their sin, no matter what they've done, no matter where they've been, no matter what they thought or uh, did and, and where nobody saw, all that forgiven in Christ, if you believe. And not just belief in belief or faith in faith, but faith in one who has accomplished what he said, he accomplished one who said we are a certain way and believing that and one who has uh, paid for all of that way that we were and believing that and trusting that his work and his work only on the cross took care of our debt to God. And now we are made right with him. And the God, uh, the God who had his armor on, the God who was ready to punish, the God who, uh, for whom we were under a curse and who we were enemies with now is our friend and we've been adopted into his family. And that is a marvelous thing to think about. Help it to motivate our speech. Thank you for the consummation of, of this marvelous plan of God. Most glorious, the final word. Now, for those of you I speak to those who perhaps don't understand this, or you have thought that you were good, or you consider yourself a good person, perhaps, that you've lived a certain way, maybe um, you've done some good things in your own mind, perhaps. and may, may be a relative good, certainly, compared to other people. Uh, but may I, I call your attention to the fact that um, if you're trusting in your good works to somehow be made right with God, then Jesus died for not. And can I tell you that um, you, will, you will come to the realization too late if you stay with that philosophy of thought, you'll come to the re- realization too late that you were wrong and you will pay for that, for that, for that haughtiness and that arrogance forever in hell. That, that's a reality of the future for those who trust in their own righteousness because Jesus didn't die for nothing. He died for wicked, desperately uh, dead in our sin people. And he has made a way where there wasn't one. And for you to reject that, you'll get what you ask for, which is you can stand on your own merit, and then you'll find that your own merit was nowhere near the holiness of God. And so by your own actions, you'll find yourself cast away forever. Please don't find yourself there. Respond in faith and believe that Christ has done what he said he did. With a desire to be obedient, you're giving up your life to find it. Did you know that? that? That's really salvation in a nutshell, to give up your life to find it. it you, you will become who God intended for you to be when you give up what you think you are. So I call you to confess through your mouth, Jesus says, Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, and you shall be saved. Lord, thank you for the work that you do by your Holy Spirit through your word, that when the gospel goes out, it accomplishes precisely what you desire for it, whether it's death unto death, so those who are already condemned hear it and reject it, and it's the smell of death to them. Perhaps this sermon was a smell of death to you. It was a very unpleasant smell, a very unpleasant uh, time of sitting and listening to this. Can I tell you that? It just tells you that you're, you're, you're not redeemed. Or it was an aroma of life to life. Uh, those who are redeemed rejoice in this marvelous aroma of the, uh, walking in victor- victory with Jesus. Either way, it brings you glory. If you're sitting here today and you haven't responded to the gospel, but you'd like to, you thought you did, but you really, your life really shows that you just live for yourself, can I encourage you to pray right now to receive Christ as your Savior? He's offered it to all. It doesn't matter what you've done. If you prayed that prayer today, please take that card from in front of you. Let us know that you prayed that prayer. Give that to me before you go so I can pray with you, and I can help to encourage you and to help disciple you so that you might understand more about what it means to have this relationship with God you were designed to have. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus, and all God's people said, Amen.